2: Listening to 7 News Spectrum. Search for Australia's Bigfoot. was picked up by Queensland man, Dean Harrison, and he believes it to be the sound of a yowie. Harrison is a dedicated researcher, searching for the mythological creature that is also known as Australia's Bigfoot. The yowie is said to be a muscular, hairy, two-metre-tall, ape-like beast that stalks the bush right across the length and breadth of our continent. And, like Bigfoot, there is no scientific evidence of its existence. However, there are many people who claim to have seen it, or seen proof of its presence. And the creature lives large in First Nations oral histories right across the country. Sometimes it is known as the Yahoo, sometimes the Hairy Man, sometimes the Bengalaku. There are many, many other names, but the idea is a consistent one. For this episode, we reached out to a range of First Nations people working as rangers, artists and academics, but nobody was available to join us. However, as First Nations academic and archaeologist Jacinta Kulmatri has has written, to talk about Aboriginal myth is not correct. Such stories have real-world implications and are the foundations of First Nations song, dance and language. So when the British arrived in 1788, contact between the two cultures would certainly have informed European understanding of the new world around them. It is believed that the new arrivals' first accounts of what would later, be known as the Yowie, were as early as 1795. But since then, thousands of people have claimed to have seen this mythological beast or or seen evidence that it's around. Founder of Australian Yowie Research, Dean Harrison, is among them, and his encounters have been closer than most.
1: So I came home at about 11 o'clock at night, uh, parked the car and I was walking down the driveway to the front door. And in the darkness behind the house in the swamp uh, was this noise. And this noise was so booming and guttural, made my hair stand on end. It was something of like I've never heard before. Now I know the sound of koalas, you probably do too. Now they can make a pretty savage noise. This was not a koala. People
3: are not necessarily saying they don't exist, but simply that we can't prove they exist.
2: That's Professor Graham Seale. He writes and researches Australian folklore and teaches at Curtin University's Australian Studies Program. He's devoted some of his work to looking at the folklore around the Yowie and he notes that cultures across the world have thrown up similar creatures, such as the Yeti in Himalayan culture, the Yeren in China or the Bigfoot or Sasquatch of North America. So when Europeans make contact with First Nations people, one culture's stories fused with the others.
3: From a folklore point of view, um, that's fine because folklore is generally suspend their disbelief, if you like, when they're talking to people and well, you believe it to be true, well, that's fine. I believe that you believe it. And um, as I said, many people do believe those things and are actively involved, particularly in relation to the Yowie, in trying to track them down.
2: Dean's encounter was way back in 1995 and he was living in Mount Tambourine in the Gold Coast hinterland. It's lush, wild country, rainforest rich in incredibly diverse flora and fauna and renowned across the world for its incredible bird life. Dean was a young bloke then, barely in his mid-twenties, and he knew a thing or two about Australian animals. But that sound, it gripped him. He was frozen.
1: Now, on top of the noise, it was bipedal. You could hear it walking, treading through the uh, swamp. Trudge, 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 making its vocalisation, a menacing vocalisation. And then it starts to rip foliage out of the ground and you hear the roots come apart and out of the ground and then it proceeds to throw the foliage which goes through the hair to the air and then hits a tree, bounces off that and lands on the ground. So now here's three things. Vocal capacity, the fact is bipedal on two legs and it has hands. It obviously needs hands to be able to accomplish this. Now it ruled out everything.
2: Dean stood watching. Now he had a choice. He could go and grab his torch from its hook behind the front door and find the source of that sound. Or he could go through the front door, lock it and never look back. His heart beating, Dean walked into his house, slammed the door closed and locked it tight. That was Dean's first encounter, but it would not be his last. And what he believes he saw that first time, the way he describes it, is strikingly similar to other witness accounts over hundreds of years. Their descriptions, their attempts to capture the extraordinary sight on paper, all bear the same characteristics. They describe and they show two-metre-tall shapes with big heads, no necks and dark hair covering the whole body. Two years later, Dean had moved down the road to another little town in southeast Queensland called Ormo. Again, he was surrounded by lush bushland full of life, all kinds of life.
1: I was trying to lose some weight at the time. And I was jogging at night. And I jogged through this little bush reserve between two townships. On this particular night, again, roughly about 11 o'clock, I'd stopped on the verge of this track. And this track was very narrow. You could reach your hands out on both sides and you touch the foliage. But I'd stopped and I stopped to make a phone call. And it's very lucky that I stopped to make this phone call because if I didn't, I don't think I'd be here today.
2: It was a classic Queensland night. Warm, still, but a good time for a jog out of the blazing sun. So as he made his call, Dean moved to the side of the narrow, whiny bush track to make sure he wasn't in anybody's way. There was nothing but the ambient sounds of the Queensland bush, the odd bird, the cicadas buzzing. Dean was cloaked in darkness with just the vaguest suspicion of the path in front of him. The trees around him merged into an inky dark stain. And moments after he stopped running and began talking, Dean's phone conversation came to a sudden halt. The crack of snapping branches and rustling shrubs echoed in the night air and Dean realised that he was not alone. But he wasn't worried. Not yet.
1: And to me it sounded like a group of people, which I put down to as a group of kids who perhaps snuck out at night. And, but this was like a Tuesday night and I thought, well that's kind of odd, sort of weeknight. We didn't do that until this left weekends. Uh, The noise subsided, and I thought no more of it. I thought, okay, they found their way out. A couple of minutes later, I hear this twig snap, but it's a little bit closer this time. And again, a little bit closer, and a little bit closer. Now, every time it made a major noise, it would stop, deliberately stop, before proceeding again. Then I'd hear, as it's getting closer, you'd hear the leaves part, and something push through the leaves, and then you hear a crack and then stop again. Now it's getting quite close. And I said to the person on the other end of the line, I said, I've got someone sneaking up on me here. Uh, I want to find out what's on his mind.
2: Strange things happen in the bush, and most of them are done by strange people. Dean quickly realised that what he'd heard was not kids, not teenagers having a laugh. This was someone else, someone who was tracking him. And they were hiding, right at the bush line behind him, keeping themselves camouflaged in the inky black. Dean lowered the phone and began to prepare himself. But his body already was. It knew, somehow, before his mind did. He froze as chills washed across his body, sending every hair standing on end. And Dean steeled himself for what was to come. Uh,
1: Then I get this sixth sense feeling of... Knowing if I turned around and made eye contact with this person or whatever it is, it's going to turn exponentially worse. I had to turn a little bit. I wanted to get just a little bit of a view, but I didn't want to make eye contact. And here I see this massive silhouette, it would have been seven feet tall, standing there in the bush line, right behind me. And I knew I was in trouble right there and then. There was just such a horrifying feeling. You know, you've never seen anything like this before in your whole life. Uh, and you're alone.
2: Dean stood watching, waiting, listening. He tried to move. He slowly readied himself to bolt home.
1: The moment my foot left the ground, rawr, came out from behind me, this massive bellowing. And the likes of which I've never heard, it was even worse than the, the one previous. And all the dogs in the area just went crazy, it was all acreages. Now, he's taken the bush line and he's come around from my left. Now, on every footstep that he made, his diaphragm would bounce like, whoa, 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 on each step, and each step was thunderous. You hear him leap over the logs and boom, boom back down on the other side, and he'd grapple the trees, and he's using the trees to propel himself to go faster and faster. Uh, within no time, he's right beside me. And I just thought, this is it. This is it. This is, this is the end of my life.
2: Suddenly, there is a shift. The creature runs ahead of him, jumps out and faces him, cutting off his path home, his path to safety. It lunges, and Dean jumps to his left, taking off the other way, his heart racing finally dares to look back.
1: So I've, I've finally just, I'm, I'm running up to the uh, the streetlight, I'm looking over my shoulder, he's turned around and he's walked back to the bush line and he's turned around and he's squatted there, just in the bush line, watching me. And uh, I was puffing and I was panting and, and I was beside myself going, <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> and I said, what was it? And I said, oh, I know exactly what that was. Um, so after you go through an experience such as that, where you truly believe you had just about lost your life, you want answers. You 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 want to know. You want to know all about what this is.
2: Those terrifying moments more than two decades ago changed Dean's life forever. In 1997, he launched Dean Harrison's Australian Yowie Research, a website devoted to tracking alleged sightings across the country as well as witness accounts, drawings, recordings and historical accounts reaching back to the earliest days of European arrival. But Dean is not alone in his search for the Yowie. The myriad reports and the common threads that run through witness claims have captivated many others. Gary Opitz is a former ranger and wildlife expert, he writes books and essays about Australian wildlife. Gary also hosts a radio show on ABC North Coast, talking to callers about their wildlife experiences and helping them identify the various birds, mammals and reptiles that they come across. He's been doing the show for more than 20 years. He's helped listeners work out the species of hundreds of wildlife over that time. But during those years, Gary estimates he has received around 100 reports of fauna that is unknown on the Australian mainland. And many sightings of beasts matching the description of the Yari among them has been able to weave together the common threads into a pattern of behavior.
0: The animals are generally unaggressive when they are encountered. Generally, uh, the animal turns and runs for its life. However, uh, they can be aggressive. They're a bit like they act a bit like gorillas in that uh, they'll make a mock charge.
2: Besides similar patterns of behaviour, Gary says his witnesses also report similarities in appearance among the creatures they claim they have seen.
0: Generally, they they encounter a very gorilla-like animal, or you could call it a very hairy man-like animal, but an animal that stands around about. Uh, one and a half to two meters, or, or or larger than that in height, with a a head somewhat human-like, or otherwise gorilla-like, uh, and uh, or, or even orangutan-like. Very powerfully built. They all describe very powerful uh, body, very muscular, uh, chest. The head uh, is perched on the shoulders, and a bit like a footballer, a very mu- muscular footballer. There's
2: not much sign of a neck. Uh, Now, Gary is the first to admit that he is a little sceptical. He spent a lot of time alone in the bush, both with his zoology cap on and during the years he worked as a ranger. But so many of those calls into his show described so much that was similar that Gary's doubts began to wane. Besides the striking similarities in physical descriptions, the noise the animals make also has common elements. And that is something Gary has experienced. Out by himself in the bush one day, Gary heard the most extraordinary thing. He describes it like this.
0: Yee, 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 bellowing yee like call cool. uh, and then when I heard these calls, I was actually astounded, and that's when I first realised that the that, that this, this, this animal actually exists. And uh, three dingoes started howling, giving their sort of, oh, howling calls. And this and other animal, you could compare it with the dingoes, and it was much more powerful. And after the dingoes had run out of breath, this, this animal was still um, giving its incredibly powerful Roaring, bellowing calls, nothing like the the bellowing grunts of a koala or the bellowing of cattle. This is quite a a different animal much more powerful and in another another occasion, I heard uh, once again around about a hundred barks and they were in groups of three, and they were sort of like Oh, 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 and then it would gurgle in between so they go oh oh. oh, oh, oh. Now, like nothing makes calls like
2: that. Gary uh, uh, Opitz has now completed a lot of research into the possibility that Australia's Bigfoot is out there somewhere. His working theory is that if the animal exists, it is not a herbivore, that is, an animal that feeds on plants, because that will result in large tracts of vegetation being destroyed as the yowie attempts to consume enough food to keep it going. It would also make itself more visible, as the constant grazing would require it to be out and about for much longer. Instead, he thinks the Yowie is carnivorous, a meat-eater living in small groups covering large tracts of land. Putting aside the issue of whether the Yowie truly is out there, why do these stories flourish in so many cultures over so many centuries? Is there something in us, something deep within our psyche that needs desperately to believe they could be true? Professor Graham Seal has a few theories about that too.
3: Um, It seems to be that we like to scare ourselves for reasons nobody really knows. Certainly I don't. But um, those stories are widely spread around the world. Similar stories about yetis, as you know, of course, and the abominable snowmen, uh, Sasquatch and all sorts of other creatures. The big hairy things that um, live out in the wild and uh, frighten people, or even eat them sometimes. And, um, yeah, so we, it's one of those things that we seem to uh, need to tell, the kind of stories we need to tell each other and share with each other, like a lot of folklore.
2: Clearly the idea speaks to a very deep need within us and the way we need to understand the world around us. We think we know all there is to know, but do we really? Maybe not
3: that's it the evidence thing is there obviously you know we we like to think we're a rational society and that we run everything (laughs) scientifically uh, which we don't of course but nevertheless we're supposed to so um, when we can't present evidence of something particularly as uh, unusual as as a yaoi or other thing bunyip whatever it might be no actual scientifically provable evidence uh, well then people tend to think oh well it's just a story or a bit of a yarn that someone's made up however I think that there are an awful lot of those stories. Everybody can't be making them up. Um, People certainly believe that they're seeing these things and that they exist and that they are very much part of the Australian bush ethos. I think very much part of that culture that we have about the bush and the idea that it's uh, still got mysteries about it. I think that's another thing we like to think, even though we're a highly urbanised society, and very modern etc we still like to think i think that out there somewhere <laughs> in the bush in the outback the dead heart whatever you want to call it uh or the mountains simply that there's something we can't um, we can't know about it's a bit of nature that uh, is out there and it's beyond our control
2: so true or not scientifically provable or not we as humans love the sense of the mysterious the sense of the unknowable Once we're out there, enjoying the wilderness, there seems little as unknowable as a vast expanse of the Australian bush. You've been listening to 7 News Spectrum, the search for Australia's Bigfoot. A big thanks to Dean Harrison for supplying audio recordings from his investigations. And thank you too to Gary Opitz and Professor Graham Seal for their insights. This episode was voiced by me, Chris Hook, and audio produced by Melene Haglund.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more